This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Plated Earth, where we share at least a fraction of the crazy, wonderful, and insightful stories of produce. I'm your host, JJ. Plated Earth is also the official podcast of the Specialty Produce app. Please share your support for us and Specialty Produce by downloading the app and exploring one of the globe's most comprehensive fresh food databases. So, what's on our plate today? Today, we are talking apples with Kelly Haig and Cassandra Poindexter of Specialty Produce. Hey guys, and Happy New Year. Welcome to a special edition of the Plated Earth podcast, The Food Talk. Today we have special guests Kelly Haig and Cassandra Poindexter here to talk apples with us. Kelly is the thought leader for the Specialty Produce app, and Cassandra is the thought leader for the Specialty Produce experience. All right, welcome you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. So as you listeners probably know, the Plated Earth podcast is the official podcast of the Specialty Produce app. And so that's why we're here. We want to talk a little bit about the app and how we gather all that information, which then leads to some of our food fables and food buzz episodes here on the podcast. So there's a lot of research that goes into it, writing and uh, photography, and sometimes even scouting these items out in the wild. So Kelly and Cassandra recently had a trip to England to go look for apples. Yeah, we drew the short straws (laughs) and we got sent to England to go look for apples. So what, what was the point of your trip? Why do you go out there and look for, look for these produce items? So the purpose of the app really is to share the story of fruits and vegetables. It has layers in the app doing everything from the sharing capability, which really helps forge a direct connection between farmers and chefs and or customers. There's the education part of it, introducing the importance of history and the history of individual produce items, as well as just food in general. Uh, Food has really helped shape the world as we know it today. Absolutely. Uh, That is something that a lot of people uh, are disconnected with, and we're hoping to bring that connection back. Uh, Within doing the researching, we also do a lot of photographs that help, again, represent the product. Usually, but not always, we actually photograph the item from its, like, country of origin. Like, while we're in the country of origin. (laughs) And that helps just give it a little bit more validity uh, and representation of what it actually looks like. So, really, the purpose of going out is just to deepen our personal understanding and then leading that into the actual app and allowing it to be something that the readers also get to connect with. That's awesome. And bringing it to the table so that our writers here at Specialty Produce can get an understanding of that produce item and really write a, a good article. Definitely. And we um, we try the, try the items too while we're out there so we can take tasting notes and bring it back to the writers and let them know what it tasted like, what it looked like, what it felt like, the texture, so that all of that information can go into the description um, with it as well. Very cool. Yeah. And while hunting, while foraging for these <laughs> produce items, we also get the opportunity to talk to um, the purveyors or sometimes even the farmers themselves. And in that conversation, we can talk about why they grow, what they grow, how they grow, what they grow, what they would do with it. 
you know, just preparing it for themselves, any history that they may or may not know, um, why it works in their region. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So it really does the the traveling again. Gosh, that short stick. Oh, man. (laughs) But uh, the traveling part really does open up um, a huge communication, uh, really kind of closes that communication gap between customer and producer. Absolutely. Sharing that story of fruits and vegetables straight from the source. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So where exactly were you in England? Where did you visit? Uh, We went to a little part of Kent called Faversham. And the farm that we went to is called Brogdale Collections. And this is actually the world's largest collection of fruit trees. They have not just apples. uh, They have the largest collection of apples, pears, quince, and cherries, and plums. Medlars. Medlars. They had um, corn nuts. Wait, what were Cob they called? Nuts. Cob nuts as well. They had so many trees there. And when what we went for was specifically apples. They're having an apple festival. And they have 2,200 varieties of apples. Wow. So we didn't get to see all 2,200 varieties. Uh, at the time that we went, most of their cooking apples are actually picked in the spring. So what we got to try was mostly eating apples, a lot of different varieties, some as old as like 500 BC was that when the Decia was from? I think it was wow. way back in 500 mm-hmm. BC, and then all the way up until something that was developed, um, you know, 10 years ago at this orchard. It was amazing. Wow, that's so cool. And like you said, you were there in the fall, correct? In oct- October timeframe. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very cool. So a little bit about Brogdale Collections is they are actually a charity. The charity is providing access and education uh, about the National Fruit Collection to the public. The collection's orchard is a living history and heritage of fruit. There's over 150 acres of farmland, and on that 150 acres, there's over 4,000 varieties of fruit trees. Like she said, anything from apples all the way down to cob nuts, which when we heard cob nuts yeah. as Americans, yeah. <laughs> we went, what? what? <laughs> um, Cassie, what was the term they used? They're like the only living preservation of yeah, it's kind of like a living history of apples oh, or a cool. living living collection. Cause living what, collection. Yeah, was, living yeah. collection. Because what they found was they actually tried, a lot of scientists have tried to preserve these um, seedlings and graft wood and seeds um, through like freezing, cryogenic freezing mm-hmm. and other ways that you would preserve um, genetic material. But that, the, uh, the trees don't work. So basically what they have to do is every 15 years or so, they have to replant this entire orchard. Oh, wow. Um, so when we were there, we saw you know some trees that were close to 20 years old. And then we saw the new land that they were um, currently like tending and letting. Regrafting. Yeah, regrafting. So they have to, the land, it takes like three years once they get rid of an orchard for it to turn, the soil to turn and to become nutrient nutritious again. And then they plant there, so we got to see saplings all the way up to full. Well, their trees aren't actually full grown because they graft them onto woodstock that keeps it um, really small, so that it's a manageable size. Makes sense. The yeah. ones that they had were about eight feet tall, and then the new variety that they're doing is going to be even shorter, so that you don't even have to climb up onto a ladder at all to pick apples. Wow. Um, one of that was one of the coolest experiences for me was actually learning how. They grow apples, how they preserve an orchard and how they move through these trees. Because we, working here in a produce warehouse, which is what Specialty Produce mainly is, we just see the finished product. And even as we research for the app and move into these things, we um, discover as we bring in more and more audiences to the app that people are interested in different things. So while we were mostly just interested in the final product and what it tasted like and how you would use it, 
we're now starting to realize that there's a lot of questions about how to grow it and how to graft it and right. how, you know, where it comes from and what happens to the seed and all these things that we didn't actually know ourselves. Very cool. Getting the full history and how it gets from that original form to the product that you see here in the warehouse. There's so much more behind it than you even realize. It's so cool. Yeah. And how many different varieties there mm-hmm. are as well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what did, what did you learn? What was the takeaway from Brogdale or some, some fun, interesting facts that you brought home with you? Where do we even start? Kelly, what yeah. was your favorite fact? My, I think my favorite fact was that apple trees themselves, like the, um, the gold apple, let's say is a gala. It is only available for pollination for about 10 days. Uh, and that trees do not like to pollinate with their own kind. Traditionally, there's usually orchards are lined with pollinators, uh, which is normally a crabapple, because crabapples blossom and pollinate for three weeks. So the cool. yeah, basically the three weeks is a like much better shot at pollinating those ten days. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> you know, of them lining up perfectly. <laughs> uh, so that was pretty cool to me. I, I didn't realize that they uh, needed to have a pollinator that wasn't themselves. They will produce fruit, just not as much. It's really hard to pick just one. Of my Probably my favorite fact is the fact that in order to guarantee that you will grow the same apple, say you have a Granny Smith apple in your yard and you want to have another Granny Smith apple, you cannot take the seeds from a Granny Smith apple, plant them in the ground, and guarantee that you will grow the same tree. And most likely because they do this cross-pollinating, you you know, hybridization happens naturally through these seeds all the time. So in order to guarantee it, you actually have to take a piece of graft wood and create a new tree that way. So whenever someone wants to do a row of Granny Smith apples, they have to graft graft the wood. Otherwise, they cannot guarantee it will be Granny Smith. Even if it looks like a Granny Smith, um, there could be characteristics that are different. And then those have to be sent off to see the parentage and all these different aspects they even said that um, on the same tree, I think it's called spelting, they can actually grow a different variety in one branch oh, wow. on the same tree. On the so same tree. It's really amazing. There, it's why there's so many different varieties of apples and new varieties are popping up all the time. Um, and through you know through time, it's just basically you could just throw seeds in your backyard and get a different type of apple. It's quite fascinating. Wow. That is so cool. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah. It makes you appreciate when you get an apple and you know what it is. <laughs> yeah. You should yeah, be appreciative we, that you got that apple. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We were pretty enamored with the whole like pollination and how it works and natural hybridization and like how they intentionally and unintentionally create all of these apple varieties. I mean, so many varieties. Actually, I think there's at least three or four out of the like 150 varieties on the app of apples. There's at least three or four that are like, oh, this is a chance seedling, mm-hmm. which is literally like the apple fell, uh, a bird or a creature ate it and then, you know, unintentionally replanted that seed. And because its parents were two different varieties, a new variety was born. Wow. And so to learn, like, exactly how and why that happens was really interesting. Yeah. The most famous chance seedling, at least for America, is the Golden Delicious. So the Golden Delicious is oh, a chance wow. seedling That's a that just seed. appeared in someone's orchard. And then they, you know, started grafting it and creating it from there. Um, the history of farming apples and cultivation of apples was pretty fascinating, too. It can be traced back, at least in England, to about 7,500 years ago when birds brought crabapple seeds from like the Caspian Sea and dropped them 
right around the time that I started to retract and the temperature started to warm up in England, birds would fly up, would finally start flying up there and bring seeds. And then when the Romans came, you know, 450 BC, they actually brought all of the methods of the pruning that we see today, the grafting that we see today, all of that was brought back in 450 BC to England. And, you know, that's how new varieties were created was through this hybridization and this cross-pollination and grafting um, as far back as then. So that was pretty fascinating how long we've been using these methods and cultivating apples this way. Yeah, if it's not broke, don't fix it. (laughs) To sort of bring it back to the Golden Delicious, there was actually a pretty funny story that we heard on one of our tours about how, and this is actually something we did run into, is that people in England hate the Golden Delicious. Oh my God. Quite literally in conversation, purposely brought it up to the Americans. Oh, us. yeah. They're, I <laughs> like, They despise the Golden Delicious. It was so bad. I, there were, one of our tours, I was asked to go see it because I wanted to get a video of the tree for a video we were creating here. And it was just, I got so much flack for it from everyone on the trip. Like, they're like, oh, wow. you just want to go taste, go eat the most tasteless apple. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks for the gift, guys. <laughs> no, but uh, we found out that one of the reasons the Golden Delicious is so popular uh, is because they will literally sit on the tree ripe for about six months. Oh, wow. So they can be picked over a time Huge period window. according to like when they are needed on the market. But we found out a, fu- a fun little story. I hope I say it, I tell it right. But I guess what had happened is not too long ago, the French were, go- were growing Golden Delicious apples. And they had too many of them, just the, like an absolute surplus, like this is heinous. So what they started to do is ship them over to England for a ridiculously low price. And what that did is it caused the England farmers, who were also growing Golden Delicious, who couldn't afford to compete with the price, to have a lot of issues. You know, they couldn't they couldn't compete. They couldn't compete. Yeah. Uh, so what had happened is then England decided we're now going to basically like – tell people Golden Delicious suck (laughs) and are terrible in order to try to, like, combat what was happening. Uh, And then the English farmers grew different apples (laughs) to sort of balance out what was happening between, like, the French just shipping these really cheap apples over. So I'm not entirely sure that they hated the Golden Delicious on merit or reputation. I know. I really like Golden Delicious. But we also did find out that um, English varieties of apples – um, versus American varieties of apples are much um, more sour. So Ameri- oh, they, everyone was like, different. oh, you Americans, yeah. you just love your sugar and yeah. you want everything <laughs> so sweet and big and crisp. Whereas more traditional English apples, most of them actually up until like around the 1950s, 1960s were mostly cooking apples. And the main reason for that is that was when heating was put into everyone's house. So before that, you, you would heat your house with a fire and you'd cook everything over this fire and you would want to end your meal with like a roasted, warm, baked apple. So it was very common to just have cooking apples as opposed to eating apples, especially in the winter. You don't want to eat anything cold. And the the crazy thing, most varieties of them, they only last off the tree like a week or less. Oh, wow. That's so short. they start to break down really quickly, which is why you don't even see them um, in stores anymore. And so it was just you would have an apple tree in your backyard. You'd go pick apples. You'd roast it that night. And it was very, you know, everyone had had an apple tree. So many people we were on tours with and other people I know who have grown up in England, definitely, you know, through the 50s and 60s, they all have they all talk about the apple tree that they had in their backyard. So the apples are very um, in the culture of England, for sure. Part of how they grew up, it sounds like. Everyone probably has a story. They even have their own recipes. Yeah, they have a specific term for stealing people's apples called scrumping. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So it's like very common. Like if you are an apple thief, it's you, a you deal. are a scrumper. Yeah. <laughs> I had forgotten that. Photo. Yeah. And it's, they, what was the booze? That they th- made? So then they, there's a booze that they make. It's like a really, really hard cider that actually got outlawed because it was so alcoholic that people were getting addicted to it. And it was called scrumpy. <laughs> scrumpy. Yeah. Wow. Wow, the more you know. (laughs) Now, when you're talking about cooking apples, what type of apple is that? So usually cooking apples, um, you know, you have your your eating apples are usually crisp, juicy, sweet, right right out of hand, whereas cooking apples tend to be a little bit more dense. Um, They might not be as smooth in texture. They might be a little bit more mealy, a lot less juicy, and not as sweet. So as they cook, their flavors develop. You don't really want a really juicy apple to cook because then you're going to get juice everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's going to, you know get very liquefied especially in a pie the most common cooking apple that we found in england it was in every store was a bramley apple but we heard from a lot of the apple connoisseurs that that's not the best cooking apple it just happens to be the most commercially available yeah i actually read somewhere that the difference between a cooking apple and eating apple is very much dependent upon the texture and the texture is different because of air pockets so the more crisp you know preferably hand-eating apple, has a lot of air inside of it, giving it that te- crunchy texture. But when you cook it, it shrinks significantly. So the cooking apples are definitely much more dense, uh, a little bit. I guess they come off as mealy uh, because of it, but they retain their shape and their size when they're cooked. So fun little Brogdale fact. Um, guys, we're looking through our notes here. Um <laughs> Actually, the original orchard did not actually start in Faversham. The original Brogdale Farms was started actually by Henry VIII. So a very long time ago, they've been collecting uh, this information. I think that's back, what, the 1500s when Henry VIII was in power, who fell out of favor with the Catholic Church. And before that, all the farming information, all of the um, knowledge of how to have an orchard and and, um, farm an orchard and all that was actually held by the church. So oh, when wow. Henry VIII fell out of favor with the church, he started this and started giving the knowledge to other people. So it's been around for a while. And then they re- cool. relocated it to Faversham. It exists in Faversham where it is actually because it's the warmest part of England. Um, so the the summer trees do really well there. But actually, orchard trees, they need to have a lot of days of like frosty weather, of cold weather to keep themselves dormant long enough to create really good apples. And where Faversham is located... They get this breeze from the North Sea that comes in and down the hills and it will like keep the trees dormant long enough. But it doesn't it doesn't really frost over. It just stays cold. So it doesn't kill the trees, but it keeps them dormant. That's a very specific fine line that it's walking there, too. Yeah, for sure. Medlars are also known as open arse fruit. They're Feel free to use that one if you'd <laughs> they're, like. <laughs> they're referenced by Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet to uh, describe female anatomy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I swear, most of the prototypes we go over, even in the Food Buzz and Food Fables episodes we do, are referenced so often in literature, in history, in different cultures. I mean, it's it's crazy where they pop up. And the naming of things, too. We recently did pomegranates, and those came from grenade, or the name grenades after pomegranates because they look similar oh. to the French name grenade. Grenade, so cool, hmm. very interesting. But actually, cool. the the pearmain apples, pearmain apples, that name is given to any apple that has more of a pear like shape, but no pear flavor. Is it just the shape? It's just the shape, um, and it's it's a pretty laxed shape. We 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 saw a lot of pearmains <laughs> that weren't necessarily pear shaped. Yeah, 
Yeah. They were a little sure. bit, you know, maybe a little bit taller than regular apple, maybe a little bit bulbous, but not not really a pear. <laughs> well, that's shaped. like the the runette apples are supposed to be apples that are half russeted. Not all of them are russeted. No. At all. <laughs> yeah. So does anyone stand out, any one variety stand out for your favorite flavor that you got to taste while you were there? My favorite was the orange. We oh my god we tried so many apples how many did we try like seven I believe we got around eighty five apples wow and we tried them all and we <laughs> tried some that we didn't get because we went on multiple orchards so you can go there and you just walk around the orchard and if you do a little research ahead of time you can be like oh I really want to see these trees I really want to see those trees so we walked around probably about five different times to see different parts of the orchard so we got to try apples off the tree because if you have the if your tour guide will allow you they'll cut a few of the apples open but they weren't necessarily apples that we could take photos of so most of the ones we got photos of we were able to buy at the festival and they have an orchard there it's called the lane orchards where their uh, farmers have found about a hundred varieties is that what they said yeah they they have about a hundred varieties that they really enjoy from the orchard that can be kind of commercially sold. They're not going to last as long as like Golden Delicious on the Tree or a Pink Lady, which are some of the most popular there, but they last long enough to be marketed. And so they grow those and sell those to restaurants and sell them to Borough Market in London and a few of the other markets as well. So we met that farmer and his farmhand and bought most of those varieties and took a lot of photos of those. It was amazing. But favorite, my favorite was the orange, which is actually a Japanese variety of apple. There was one that was pineapple flavored. Whoa, pineapple flavored. The Ananas Renette. Yeah. Renette. The Ananas Renette. Was, we were really popular at, our, at the inn that we were staying at because we were just like, we have apples and we have more <laughs> apples. And here, have some apples and you get an apple and you get an apple. And everybody gets an apple. So I, I remember I remember really liking the, the, the Costard apple. Which oh, is yeah. almost as old as the DCO, which is the oldest variety that we currently feature in the app and that we got a photo of. Uh, but the Coastart, I just remember it being impressively new age tasting because a lot of the older apples are very mealy, very flavorful, but the texture is like right. a little off-putting. But no, they were like crisp. They were succulent. They were sour. They were sweet. They were like a little bit of everything. And I just remember being like really impressed at such an old apple managed to have such a complex like flavor yeah that one was like especially next to the dco because we these were the two roman apples that we got and the dco had no flavor yeah it was terrible it was just like it was like eating a wax apple there was nothing to it um and so having those two next to each other was was quite interesting especially with their history too yeah because they're the varieties that like rome brought with them so oh they do have a section in the orchard uh, and this section is specifically just to grow out mystery seeds that are sent to Brogdale. Oh, yeah. So what happens a lot. Awesome. Yeah, what happens a lot is people are like, oh, there's this, you know, my grandma has this tree. And I think it's this old apple that's been missing for hundreds of years. And they will take some of, I guess, some of the grafting. Wood. Yeah, graft they'll, wood, they'll, yeah. they'll send a graft over to Brogdale and they'll grow it out. Uh, and it takes, didn't they say they have to grow it out for three years to make sure that it's consistent? Yeah, they do. It's a consistent variety. And they'll send it off to the scientist type, quote unquote. <laughs> That's uh, what the farmers called them. The, farmer, the scientist type. <laughs> uh, and they will trace back the parentage or the lineage to see if it is indeed like a super rare special variety. And it, I don't know what uh, percentage of outcome they get that are actual 
Right. You know, that old turn out to be, yeah, yep. that turn out to be something <laughs> worth doing. But obviously it's worth it enough that they continue to have an entire program where that happens. Dedicated to that. Yeah. yeah. And to finding new varieties too, because you know, your seed your seed can grow a different variety. So sometimes people will find right. it in their yard yeah. and send it there. That is so cool. <laughs> so if you ever have that, you know, neighbor that's like, yep. here's an apple, I don't know what it is. <laughs> so um, so we went to Faversham to go to, to Brogdale to take photos of these apples and we get there and we're introduced to 2,200 varieties of apples. We find that they're growing 100 varieties of these um, really amazing apples that they have found that they really just want to market. And then you drive less than five minutes away to the Tesco, which is the main supermarket in England right there in Faversham. And we're walking around and there's three types of apples. And it is a pink lady, which is from Australia. A Bramley, which is the main variety of cooking apples, and what was the last one? A, like Gala, I think. Yeah. Um, so that really, for me, struck exactly the reason why the app exists and what we are trying to do here. Um, this idea that our food system has gotten so far away from the farm that our idea is just convenience over flavor, convenience over history, that... They, these apples exist and nobody knows about them and they're literally in their backyard. Uh, so the app exists as a database, as information, as a way to drive people to be interested in and to be passionate about all of the different things that the world provides for them as far as food is concerned. Yeah, the manager of the orchard itself, a gentleman named Nigel, he even mentioned to us that of the around 100 varieties that they had picked, his goal was to get them sent directly to the chefs to have the chefs using it and incorporating it into their dishes to bring awareness to you know do exactly what the app is doing in the way of open up the doors <laughs> you know to yeah. variety yeah um and he he was actually very excited uh specifically about the application section of the app which gave him you know more umph to go and pursue the fact that these are quality apples and that they need to be known and they need to be used yeah, and like you said, that connection between the chef, the farmer, the consumer, everyone, and bridging that gap and saying, showing people what's available. So it's it's through these type of these trips, this research, this in depth experience that we have with produce that we bring the app to life. And uh, I think it's so cool, and it's always changing, it's always growing. We're always doing updates, even in the ne- upcoming summer. Kelly's going to be traveling again. Was that for uh, cherries? Yes, cherry season. Uh, I do not mind again short straw. <laughs> I, I, I drew the long straw this time. <laughs> <laughs> do not mind at all, as cherries are one of my favorite things. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, and apparently England um, has a ton of their own varieties of cherries that we haven't seen before. So yes. that's going to be really exciting. Even on this end, watching it from from. You know, California to see all the the different types. Yeah. Because we, you know, in California, we kind of think we have the best cherries. And now we're going to go to Kelly's going to go to England and find out if they have the best cherries. Yeah, I will definitely keep you posted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Kelly and Cassandra, for being here. This is awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's definitely an experience and it's worth talking about. Yeah, and I I think it's really important that we talk about the human aspect behind our app so everyone that has the app and is downloading it knows that we're not just going on Google necessarily and looking these things up. We're doing in-depth research and hands-on and, you know, forging relationships globally because this is a global product that can be used anywhere. What she said.
Well, folks, that concludes this week's episode. Be sure to follow at Specialty Produce App on Instagram for some amazing produce photos. And while you're on there, give us a follow at Plated Earth. As always, you can find more information, recipe ideas, and local market shares on the Specialty Produce app. Tune in next time for the latest food buzz. And remember, cauliflower is nothing but a cabbage with a college education. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.